This is the balanced dilemma. We tackle the often uniquely, but not always, female dilemma managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. At The Balanced Dilemma, we speak with women and men to hear their balanced stories. Our guests are entrepreneurs, reinventors, creators, executives, parents, and partners, telling us what really what we really want to know. How the heck did you manage that? And can you have it all and all at the same time? Today's guest is Uta Londrigan, an entrepreneur who, inspired by her grandmother's recipes, started a craft liqueur business, Heimat, in around 2018. Uta is originally from Geldern, Germany, a small town near Dusseldorf and the Netherlands border. And while still in Germany, she worked for companies with some of our favorite products, chocolate and beer. She did marketing for Ferraro. That's the maker of Ferraro Rocher Candy, Nutella, Tic Tacs, and Kinder Surprise, and more. And she was an innovation manager for Germany's largest brewery, Radeburger Group. And how she came to make her own spirits is a story in itself. Uta, welcome to The Balanced Dilemma. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Boy, Maura, that really rolled off your tongue. Let's say it again. How do we say that? Radeburger Group? Did she get it good? It was wonderful. It's Radeburger Gruppe. That sounds totally perfect but i'm very impressed what i really want to know is the name of your company heimat what, what does that mean heimat is a german word and when you look it up in the dictionary it's actually translated as homeland but for every german it has a much deeper meaning it's more where you're from where your roots are so when you close your eyes and you think about your childhood and all the memories you have your mom's cooking the smell of the kitchen but also like walking through the forest or at the different stores and the different activities so everything included means high mud. so what does that mean for you what's the image you get it's so much i mean high mud means so much to me and it's like you know and I go home every year just to simply fill up my heart because there's so many things. It's just not the house I grew up in, but it's also the food. And I think most importantly, it's food and it's just something which makes you happy. Um, it's riding my bike and um, being out and about. So tell us, you, you come from Germany, which is in Europe, if anyone uh, has studied their uh, geography. Did you come from a business background? Not at all. And you, you're a mother. You have two children, correct? I am, yes. So we can't wait to hear the story of how this business uh, of yours, uh, Hi Matt, merged with your family. Um, did you always want to have a family? Yes, absolutely. I mean, my dream was about to have three kids. And honestly, after our second, um, I realized that it's, uh, I have enough with two and um, I'm very happy. I have a daughter who is 11 and a boy who is 9. And we know you have a business background, as we referenced in your biography. But did you ever expect to go back to working after you had children? How, how did that play out for you? You know, in Germany, it's a little different. So when you become a mom, um, you stay home or you can stay home for three years. And so my goal was to stay home for a year and um, see how it's going to go. Um, and then my husband was asked to go and move in Asia, move to Asia. So we moved. And I didn't want to go back to my old job because it, it was so much traveling and so many long hours. And I love to be a mom. I wanted to be with our kids, and especially in the young years, you know, to be there for them and, you know, spend 
as much time as possible. So I'm just curious, in Germany, with your peers, friends, family members, how does that work out with women? How many of them go back quickly? How many of them take the full three years? How, what is the reception they receive in the workforce? I, th- I would say most of them take at least a year because, you know, you get exactly the same position back. I mean, it can be, like, for example, in marketing, you used to work for a certain brand in this, in this company, Let's say for Ferrero, you worked for Giotto, for example. And then after a year, they give you the same position back, but under a different brand. But um, the company has to give you back the same position. So why not staying home? Why getting paid? Because you get paid the first 12 months. And then most people do it, yes. Because parenting and being a mom is very important. And it's accepted throughout almost all industries. What about the men? Do they get time off? They could. They could. So what really happens? <laughs> and I know some of my old colleagues, they they actually did, but just a few months. Yes. Right. That's our big question, how the paternity leave works out. And I just, I have a question. Was you, you get your old position back, mm-hmm. but you've missed a year. So yes. if you were peers with someone else, have they advanced ahead of you? And does that affect your trajectory? That's something I don't know because I did not go back into my old position, but the company supports you in every single way. As much as I know from all the companies I worked for, there's a big support. And what about when you're back from that year? How supportive are they when parenthood, you know, is part of your daily life? They are very supportive. It's just, in Germany, it's a little different than it is here. Here, I experience so many people, like, seeing all this pressure they get and, you know, struggling. And, you know, my kid, my child is sick. What I'm going to do? Child care. So, child care is an issue in Germany as well. Of course, there is. Is it? Is it? How is it an issue there? Um, it's because there are not enough spaces available. But, but most people use a daycare as opposed to private care? Yes. There are not too many nannies. But noting that I haven't lived in Germany for uh, 12 years 12 <laughs> okay. years so I don't really know how it is now um, but back when I was still working you would not see that many nannies around that's not an, something we do it's more like a daycare thing and a lot of big companies have their own daycare so you bring your child to work and then it stays there you have friends and family back in Germany. I do, yes. What do they say about what it's like to be a parent and in particular a mother there? I think it depends on what kind of industry you are in as well. I mean, so it depends what kind of job you do. So, but my friends, the friends I have, um, I have a friend, she loved to go back to work because it's like out of the craziness of the house, but knowing that the kids are in good hands. So one of the boys has started kindergarten and the other one is in daycare at work. So she brings the little guy with her to work. She knows he's in good hands and she can do her work and gets her mind on something else than cleaning diapers and cooking and stuff. So this brings up the next uh, thought, lead parent. Um, we discuss this all the time. Are you familiar with the phrase? Yes, I am. And, and the mental load of parenting. And how does that work uh, in your experience? Who bears the mental load? Who is the lead parent when both parents are working, coming from a, a different culture? Okay, it's it's very hard to say. And I think we are going towards a more um, equal position there. But it's still on the women most. But listen, I think... Th- 
like the woman you know it's like the way we handle things the way we do things and you know we are the most times the organizers but the support of the husbands it's more and getting more and more and more and they're trying to help as much as they can that's being said in the people i know and um in my own family as well so it's like a so many like even husbands their company is the one with the daycare so the kids go with them to daycare and the mom does a different job so um it's yeah it really it's evolving depends. yes interesting but this brings up another issue you worked in a predominantly male industry correct yes i did uh, you worked for a brewery so it, it isn't just uh, a misconception that it's a, a male industry you were one of the lone females correct yeah besides the human resources and the lawyer <laughs> <laughs> and did that experience prepare you for being a business owner in the spirits industry, which is also, even here, much more predominantly male than female? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's been, you know, starting at the brewery, coming especially from a sweets company, a sweets background, and marketing, which is always seen as a little bit, let's say, different. Um, um, you know, I had to work with all the brewers and I was in new product development. And so you work on new products. So you work with technicians, logistics, all men. And um, I had to prove, definitely, they prove you and just, but they accept you once you really get to the point. And um, we had this, because I launched a new product and they asked me to be at the first filling at 6 a.m. in the morning. And I said, okay, I'm there. So I was there. And we, they all take the first sample of the uh, filling, and it's a warm beer. And everybody can imagine how it tastes like. Everybody gets their bottle, they open the bottle, and they try it. And I did too. And after this moment, I was fully accepted. It sounds so funny, but it's true. It's but we should add, brewing in Germany is a serious business. It's a very serious business. I mean, yes, there are rules, is. and <laughs> <They> are. <laughs> it, it's, mu- it's not just something uh, that's an easy thing to do. No. And we'll be right back. This is The Balanced Dilemma. This is The Balanced Dilemma. We're speaking with Uta Londrigan about her business, HiMet. Uta, you started this liqueur business, and we're going to go into that more in a moment. But I'm curious how your family, your husband and your children, reacted to you no longer being focused purely on them. I have to say my family is the biggest supporter every everyone can ever dream of. I mean, my kids, my husband, everybody steps in and we all have moments. And whenever I have a moment where I say, you know, I don't know, should I do it? And should I keep doing it? You know, especially at the beginning and the pandemic and everything happens. And um, especially I remember one moment where my daughter, who's 11, she was in front of me and she said, you don't give up, mommy. We are here. We're going to do it. You can do it. And I was like, okay. So So I do it. (laughs) This is actually a topic of, let's say, dinner table conversation where the family's all in on it. Oh, absolutely. We talk about this all the time. And I do have to say, my, my kids are 9 and 11, so this it's the perfect age where they understand and they ask questions. And, you and know, yet they can't actually taste the product. <laughs> no, 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 no. Never, never. They would never do that. No. Um, but they understand and they see how we have grown from the beginning to now and how everything is going. And they love it and they're very happy and proud. And they understand if I say, you know, mommy has to leave again after dinner or can I leave you for an hour I just run over very quick and and they understand and my husband 
he just has done so much to support this, not just helping me with the business, but also at home. He stepped in so many times. Is he also from Germany? No, he's American. Didn't know that. Learned something. So let's just put this in perspective. You had uh, pivoted from a full-time worker into a stay-at-home mom, traveling to Asia and then coming here to New York. And at some point, you came up with this great idea to take this homegrown product and make a business out of it. That's a big shift. How did that change uh, your daily, day-to-day experience with your family? It changed completely. It's... Uh, first of all, you know, you have this dream about having your own business and then all of a sudden you go step by step and look into, you know, like all the licensing and permits you need to have for uh, starting an alcohol business. Yeah. Did you always have a dream to have your own business? Was yes. that part of your plan? It was. I always wanted to have and we always played with different ideas, my husband and I. Um, was my dream to make liqueurs? No. No, um, but um, it came simply came together when we moved to New York and um, started going to farmers market markets again and seeing all the different fruits out there, and so I started making them and gave them away for families and friends just as gifts as we used to do back. In the days, so tell us about that. There's a tradition that yes. I don't think we have here, although one might say we we don't have it, Maura. <laughs> okay, but we might bring cookies or brownies that we made to someone's home. I'm retiring from that job, Maura. <laughs> but Maura would do it. Maura would make brownies. <laughs> so my grandma, you know, back in the days when strawberries were not in season, um, there were no strawberries. And so they would have a backyard with like vegetables and fruits and you know, part was for canning, part was made like right away and part of her fruits, especially the berries, were made into the curse. And so it was hers, which she enjoyed after coffee and cake with her friends simply to sip on. And it's uh, something almost every household did back in the days. Now, that was, it's almost a hundred years ago, which sounds crazy, but And so it's part, um, we did not have our fruits and vegetable garden in my house, but um, we made liqueurs. And um, so coming here, I just started making them again because it's so fun and it tastes so fresh. And I gave them away. And all of a sudden, I was stopped on the street by people saying, um, excuse me, I have tried this liqueur at um, such and such house. Um, Can I get a bottle? Right. And it's a little bootleg. Look and at that. So, and so that's how I started. <laughs> so let, let's walk through this because there are, people often romanticize about owning a business. And someone just said it to me this morning. They'd morphed from employee to a form, from a former business owner. And they said, you know, when you own a business, it's all you think about. When you're an employee, you check in, you check out. So now you've gone into this role. How does one take a product, a food product, from an idea, beautiful recipe, into a real product that you're selling? Tell us some of the uh, steps you have to go through. It's a long journey. And it's like, it's not just the dream of just having this product out there, but it's this entire licensing, which takes a lot out, out of you. And it takes a long of time. And starting a business, do you have to have a space, you know? But where do you rent a space? And it shouldn't be like 10,000 square feet. So that's an issue. And then you go really step. I always, for me, it was going step by step. So small and then more and more, but finding bottles, finding materials, finding partners to work with, farms you can work with. So did you read a book, listen to a blog? What gave you some of these steps? How did you know where to start? Research. 
it's yes podcasts and research and just you know searching the internet and finding like talking to people talking to people how about the money did you apply for a loan did you take your yours and your husband's uh finances and put it in the business how did the money aspect work we used our money to start the business and um i wanted to start for me as a german and for me personally i couldn't really see myself like taking so much money from somebody else or even my own money so i started very small and everything i make and made i invested back in the company and i you know bought like proper machinery and all those kind of things you need to produce more and more bottles so you're not taking payroll yet or no Right. That's an aspect of beginning a new business. And and a very interesting fact I read about you was that 75% of your spirits have to be made in New York. Why is that? I'm a licensed farm distillery. That means 75% of all your ingredients have to be sourced from New York. So all my ingredients are sourced from New York besides the organic cane sugar. So all my ingredients, so all our liqueurs are made by three ingredients. It's a base spirit, which is made by a small distillery. Um, it's the fruit or vegetable or blossoms, which are sourced from local farms. Do you actually have local farms around here or are you going further upstate? I have to drive a little bit to get there. So we work with Hudson Valley, Long Island, but cranberries, for example, are up north right below the Canadian border. So it's in a six and a half hour drive. Wow. How did you find the farms? searching the internet calling and so many people or so many farms don't even pick up the phone because this crazy lady calling in february asking about raspberries but there are no raspberries just because i wanted to make sure that i get the amount of raspberries i wanted to and uh, so it's basically and once you have a step in and you have a farmer who uh, supports you and likes you and understands the product they know everybody and then all of a sudden if he cannot give you the amount you're looking for he knows somebody word of mouth did you have a standard that you wanted farms run by women or that were had certain ecological standards no and on that we will be right back this is the balanced dilemma you're listening to the balanced dilemma we are speaking with uta londrigan who started a liqueur business Hymet. uta tell us how you make this delicious spirit what are the steps to brewing it I think very important to know is that uh, it's a steeping process and not a fermenting process. And this dates back to, oh, I think the 13 or 1400s when monks started using herbal liqueurs to treat different sicknesses. So um, what's the difference between steeping and brewing? I mean, um, we, we would use the term we steep tea and we brew tea. So Yeah, so steeping means uh, it's basic, it's like tea. So you steep the fruit. It says like it's the fruit sits in the spirit. Let's say What's like the base this. spirit. And we use right now we use a malted barley base, which is certified gluten free. Mm. And um, so there are different. Um, you can steep them for longer. We steep them um, for at least twelve weeks. So for a long period, because I think it's important that all those uh, ingredients merge together um, to really marry and then you can press and filter them and fermenting is when you have the fruit and with um, either you can use wild yeast or you add yeast like in the wine production 
and so the fruit ferments and the flavor changes so for me while i steep the fruit i keep the flavor of this fruit and so um i always say i keep the character of the fruit it's like the bottle so while Uta has been kind enough to bring us some bottles here. We are not drinking right now. Uh, we might I, sound impaired, but we are not. Should we assume it's very sweet? No, it is not. And I think that's oh. very important. And this is the thing about uh, starting a liqueur, like us starting with liqueurs. Um, you know, when people think about liqueurs, they think about artificial, super sweet, heavy on the tongue. You find it mostly in the dusty corner of every liquor store. Um but it is not like a cur royale. I think uh, the cur syrup. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, they uh, they people when they see us on farmers markets, they are drawn to the um, design, and then they're just like, "What is that?" And uh, it's a liqueur. Ah, well, liqueur. I'm like, why don't you try? And once you try, you notice. Um, it tastes very fresh, and I just add as much sugar as it's needed to get the full flavor out. It's more like cooking with salt. You add. You need to add salt to every dish I would say simply to have a beautiful flavor and to have the real flavor and it's the same for our liqueurs do you drink the liqueur straight or do you mix it with things both so you can have them neat or you mix them with prosecco or sparkling water or you pour them simply over vanilla ice cream. That's what I was thinking. Oh, that's interesting. So I, or wait, yeah, go ahead. You use them for cocktails, and I think that's the fun part about it because uh, all different spirits. You can use whiskey, bourbon, tequilas, gin, vodka. Um, the possibilities are endless, and you have a QR code on every bottle, which you scan, and it leads you to all different cocktail recipes or drink recipes. Let's Love say. Love it. So where did you come up with that idea? That's using technology in a different way with a drink. It's my husband. <laughs> okay, we'll support all of the he family. He has the best ideas. So even though you're a female-owned business, your husband's doing uh, marketing and innovation for you? He helps me wherever he can. And, you know, sometimes when you work and you are in crafting and bottling and harvesting and everything, you know, you kind of, your brain doesn't really get into all those little, you know, creative parts. And um, he comes up with so many ideas and the QR code was his idea. And I'm so grateful for this because it's been such a big help. QR code. Yeah, yeah, people love it. Love it. So the flavors that I see that you have are elderflower, rhubarb, raspberry, white peach, blackberry, cranberry, bosch pear, nectarine. Were any of these unavailable back home that you first met here or would you have similar flavors at home in Germany? Cranberries I've never had worked with because we don't have cranberries in Europe. And cranberries was the one which took me some time to figure out how to work with this because it's a beautiful fruit it looks so beautiful you bite into it and you could just spit it out right away again but once you get to work with us and you you can create something beautiful and it won an award so it has proven that it's actually a very good one so another question i had for you i know with small batch beer distilleries they have a geographic range and a very short shelf life what about your product? Do you is there a limited shelf life? Do you have to mark the date? How does that work? They age actually very beautifully, so they might change a little bit in color um, because we don't use any preservatives or additives, um, and they might have a little bit of sediment on the bottom since we don't use industrial filtering. Um, but they age beautifully. Yes, yeah. like wine or vinegar. 
Yes, exactly. And you can, even after you've opened it, just, you know, leave it in your spirit cabinet, cool, not in front of the heat or in the sun, please. That's the only thing. But otherwise, they, they last very long. So your packaging describes it as handcrafted. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? We, I mean? You're not sitting there crushing them yourself by hand, so... No, I don't. But it is it is a lot of work and it's not using big machineries um, to move, um, for example, those ingredients together. It's, you know, it's fresh fruit right from the farm, which has to be pitted and there's no machine to do it. So, so are you pitting things? Oh, of course we do. Yes. And um, all those different steps within the way we have to do. Yes. Now, we talked about this one marketing with the QR code. How did you start selling this? Did you show up at parties? Who wants to buy a bottle of liqueur? I First of all, I have to say, we did farmer's markets, which has been a big success for us since, you know, people are able to try it. And, um, you know, you can talk to them about how you use the product. And we had um, our first liquor store back, we started in November 2018. No liquor store would ever talk to you because it's like holiday season. But uh, we had one who was um, kind enough to say yes, and it was a huge success. And then it was word of mouth in our area, and now we are in New Jersey and New York and um, several other states. Now, I don't know if this has changed, but alcohol distribution was a very tightly controlled industry, particularly in this area. How did you break into that? Because we are a farm distillery, we are able to sell directly to consumers. That was one of the reasons as well. There are so many benefits when you are a certified uh, farm distillery. So does that mean besides farmer's markets, can you sell online or open a stand on a street corner? What does that mean to be able to sell direct when it comes I, to alcohol? I'm not really sure about the street corner, but um, I do have a um, New York State uh, marketing license, um, which allows me to sell on events and pour samples, um, sell directly to liquor stores. So self-distribution was part of our start, too. So we were able to do this, yes. Are you in contact with your German beer fellows? I am. Yes, I am. And what did they say about this? Were (laughs) they surprised to see you go from beer to a liqueur and do it on your own? No, they were not too surprised. Um, You know, with our, with Radeberger Gruppe, um, so after being innovation manager, I moved on to new product development and I was the marketing part of their new product development, which was not just only in beer within like all drink industries. And so um, they knew I had a, um, I love to be in the kitchen and create something and so they were not too surprised. So, do you uh, did you call upon some of your former business associates to give you help, or did you do this all your own? No, I did not call. I did it all. Yeah, in is there a reason? With, maybe it's the way I am a little bit, but also I always had the dream of bold colors. So from the design part, I. I always had this dream about very simple and clear design and um, from the product perspective I knew how it works and I knew how to do it and um, I do have to say after starting and talking to different um, um, partners throughout the industry like packaging or distilling we had the um, I asked questions and I got connected with other people and learned did you have mentors Consultants? No, not really. Oh, DYI. 
Yes. Uh, or DIY. Look at that. This is The Balanced Dilemma. We're speaking with Uta Londrigan, an entrepreneur who started a liqueur business. It's called HiMet. Women-owned businesses are a very big growing segment of the economy. In fact, it's the fastest growing group the last time we checked the numbers. As of 2021, there were 12.2 million women-owned businesses, which actually is up 27% from 2020. But businesses have suffered through the pandemic. What have you experienced as a business owner? Throughout the pandemic? Throughout the pandemic. Well, you started in 2018, so you pretty much were a small business right in the the hotbed. We were, and um, we right before the pandemic, we had actually um, visited with some restaurants in the city. Um, they were very excited about the product and wanted to take it on. We were supposed to do very amazing events um, throughout this year, and then the pandemic hit, and so everything got canceled. Saying this, though... And yes, so many say that liquor, like wine and beer, actually had like a very big high throughout the pandemic. Liquors were a little bit different because it's not on everybody's mind. And um, but saying this, we still had a good year. I mean, yes, there were little ups and downs, but on the other hand, it was okay for us. And then we signed up with our distributor in 2020, which was actually amazing for us because we had the inventory to get started with them Hmm. because it was left over from unused during the pandemic exactly and so the event like events we had planned to do which got all canceled where all of a sudden it was not a problem because i had the product and i could start like uh with a good base for the um, distributor so being an entrepreneur and being a mother do you recommend entrepreneurship to women as a way to have a fulfilling career i would yes i mean it's i think it's a personal choice and um it takes a lot from you and um being a mom is a very important thing to me and uh, to be with my kids and to be there for my kids because that's how i grew up my mom was there for us um but i think they have to be they have to have a certain age and um, I think now is the time, you know, um, where they understand better they're in school till three o'clock. This gives me the time to work till three. And But I am spent most times with them in the afternoon and I go back to work then at night. <laughs> so was there a plan that this was something you would not tackle when the children were young? I didn't think about it when the kids were young. Well, looking back. Looking back, yes. I, it was not on my radar. It was definitely, you know, it was more about, um, you know, doing whatever. I. Whenever the, uh, there was a minute, because our kids are just 20 months apart, whenever there was a minute for myself, I would do things I really enjoy, and that's cooking and being out. So were there skills, and we talk about whether to put motherhood on one's resume, were there skills that you had from motherhood that helped you start this business or run this business, expand this business? Oh, absolutely. Time management, organization. I think those are all those things, you know, you have to be organized. Otherwise, you're not going to get anything done. And let's even talk distribution, getting the kids where they have to go. Exactly. Getting them ready on time, you know. Ready Without to- spoiling on the way. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> so when we ask, there's a question we ask almost all of our guests. Can you have it all and all at the same time? It seems that, you know, what would your answer to that be? No, you cannot have everything at the same time. I don't, I doubt it because something would fall behind and I would not like this. I would not be happily 
right now I feel like comfortable this sounds like this overprotecting mom which I'm not but like on the weekends it's easier also from my husband driving them like to different sports events and I'm not there um, because I work most weekends um, try to be there for every softball game and soccer game there is but um, it's much easier instead of having a changing diapers, having naps, feeding time, bedtime, routines, all those things you have when they're little. Um, when they were little, no. Um, I would have not been happily doing what I do now. And your manufacturing uh, outfit is near to your home, correct? Yes. And manufacturing is something that's waned in New York and most developed areas. But for you to have this small manufacturing outfit not so far from your home allows you to go back and forth with greater ease? Yes, it's um, and it's something which I'm not going to change. So we had been looking for a new facility because we have outgrown our facility and I would not go further away because it's like I cannot do a 20-minute drive. I, yeah, 20 minutes is a lot for a mom. Right? It is a lot. And now it takes me five minutes to be there. And, um, you know, I can just go there and leave them home for a second. Or, you know, I, you get a call from the nurse. So yes. I just the quickly classic run. Tale. Yes. <laughs> I quickly run over. We both know the nurse very well. <laughs> so did you ever have any doubts during this process? Yes. I, I would lie if I say no, because sometimes, you know, when you are in front of a, um, a couple hundred pounds or let's say over a thousand pounds of peaches and you just think, how on earth, you know, how am I, I, I going to do this? Or, do they talk to you and say, <laughs> yeah, you, you start thinking? talking to them, that's for sure. And you just think, all right, you know, sometimes there are things in life which um, are not so easy to deal with. And then you simply have to wonder, is should I even do this? Why do I do this? You know, do I have to do this? No. But every time I come back and I think Heimat has given me so much and um, yeah, I, I mean, yes. I would so do. one of the other things we talk about is the difficulty women have in self-promotion. Is that something you experience? And if so, how do you get around it? I mean, you are sitting here on the radio. And you've been I, in Forbes magazine and other places. I know, but I'm very bad. I'm, I'm simply, uh, is it a woman thing? I don't know. It's the way I am. I was never the proud person, like, going somewhere and saying, hello, here I am. This is not who I am. Um, I happily talk about what I do because I love what I do. Um, yeah, self-promoting is not my biggest thing. Do you give credit to others? I mean, oh, yes. Happily do. Happily do. Because I think there's just so much, so many amazing people out there, men, women, uh, children, who do, children who do fabulous stuff. And I happily talk about it. But um, myself, I'm not big in this. Yes. So do you have a five or ten year plan for this company? Have you gone that far ahead? Honestly, when we started in 2018, I would have never, ever thought that it's going to go the way it did. And um, we have grown and doubled production each and every year. We did. Um, and the feedback is phenomenal. And um, growing into more states and um, getting the word out about liqueurs, I think, is something, you know, the that people don't roll their eyes when they hear liqueur. They the eyes light up actually and they think it's something so beautiful about what we see and um, 
like educating people and um, getting more and more HIMAT into uh, the household of uh, around the U.S., yes. And, and what about HIMAT in your homeland? Do they have products like this back in Germany? Well, they make it themselves. Why should, why should we go over there? I know some friends have said, um, why don't you ship it over? Because cranberry, for example, is not over there. But this is, um, it's not really my goal. So what is your goal? To grow within the U.S. and maybe uh, internationally, yes. Um, really, my goal would be to see a high mud bottle on almost every home bar. Hmm. And, of course, in different bars and restaurants, of course, I'm not going to take this out. But Under lock and key at every home, though. Like <laughs> yes. <laughs> so not everything, as we've hinted at and talked about, has been smooth sailing. Of course, like everyone else, you had to face the pandemic. But you've also had personal curveballs. Did those... And I'll let you share what you want to share about those. But did those push you forward? Did you have to take a step back? How did you react to it? I lost my dad in 2019. Um, and that was unexpectedly. I'm a family person. And even though I've lived abroad for a long time, I'm very close to my family. And um, it was very hard for me. But it pushed me. And Heimat was actually very helpful to push me through that this time and I push forward to show my dad I can do it. Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? No. And I just want to take a moment to let our guests know that they can find us on the web at thebalancedilemma.com where you can listen to old episodes and sign up for our newsletter, find show announcements, show notes, resources, and further reading. Follow us, rate us, tell friends on social media at The Balanced Dilemma Podcast on Facebook and LinkedIn. Podcast episodes are also available for listening on Apple iTunes, Google, and Spotify. Uda, what do you tell your children? about their future career or business what should they look for do something you enjoy doing because you're going to spend most of your time working and it should be doing should be something you really enjoy and you tell both of them boy and girl the oh, same absolutely. thing absolutely absolutely you can do everything it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman um, if you want to you can and do you have any special mottos or sayings that you say to yourself to motivate and just enjoy and be positive and grateful for everything we have and just keep going, you know, and, because you can. And you have been a delightful and positive <laughs> guest who provided us with alcohol. I That's might right. Add. I think we're going to have to share some photographs this evening as we taste the product. Please do so. We always love to see all the creations some people do at home and we post them too. Yes. And do you have any future flavors that you're going to add to your line? Well, we have been working on aging, and so we started... Uh, I'm sorry, on aging? Aging, yes, exactly. Most of us are looking for anti-aging, no. but you're looking for aging, <laughs> so tell us about so that. So we, um, we started making a barrel finished product, which is, uh, so the finished liqueur goes um, into used bourbon or other barrels and stays in there for 13 months, and this is a limited edition. Um, we're going to keep going now every year. We're going to launch one. And within our line, we're going to stay with a standard line right now. Can't wait to try that. I'm Christy Derrico. Thank you for joining us. And I'm Maura Carlin. Thank you. They never give you